Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Mark Jeftovich, and Mark came to us as a referral from the Canadian Bitcoiners, so we immediately knew we wanted to chat with Mark, and uh, he impressed us, definitely. He started a company called Easy DNS. It's probably one of the original, not probably, it's one of the original DNS companies, or dom domain name registration and web services companies in Canada, and if you're not familiar with what that means and what that's all about, he explains it on this particular episode. Episode, but we get into things like internet privacy and how he's seen the evolution of privacy online change from the early 2000s to where we are today. So he walks through some of that and some of his government interactions in that particular space. We also talk about where we're headed as a community, a society, and some of the, the things that we all feel like we're getting tugged at, where there's, that's going to lead to. And he gave me some new perspective on how to think of these things, where I really, which I really appreciated. He's involved in a whole bunch of stuff. He puts out a newsletter called The Big Bitcoin capitalist. Um, he's part of internetsociety.ca. So a real international man of mystery, Mark is. And we chat about all this wonderful stuff, including Bitcoin on this episode. And if you are listening to this and you're trying to figure out whether it's time for you to go into the real estate investing space, but you've never really figured out if it's right for you or what you should do or what the different strategies are all about, you can find a whole bunch of information on our website and specifically the books that we've written that we give away for free. You can find digital copies of them on the website at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And the reason that we give these books away is that we're hoping that if we provide you with a bunch of wonderful, good information that someday you might choose to work with us. And that's kind of the exchange that's happening there. So if you're wondering why we give our books away for free and we get asked that all the time, that's what we're up to. And you can find those again at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Mark Jeftovic. 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 I'm not sure the proper pronunciation, but Mark, you're not sure either. So yeah, it's, it's open to debate. Open to debate. You know what? Can I ask you to pull the mic closer to you? Yeah. These mics are a little sensitive. Sure. You have to speak kind of closely into no these problem. things. So Mark, welcome. Um, and I, I got to give a, a shout out to the Canadian Bitcoiners who kind of set this up. Joey said he was so excited that you were coming on that he was going to crash the show today, just so you know. Oh, really? Yeah, so he he's going to show up? Apparently, he's going to show up. We're going to wait. I think he squatted, Nick, you'll be happy to hear this. He squatted 300 pounds the other day. He put it on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he put the whole thing. So the whole I was, world... I was just going to say we have security to the front, of the, and Joey's not strong enough to get past security. So <laughs> oh, I hope he hears what, that. There you go, Joey. <laughs> Fighting words. <laughs> so, Mark, um, you know what? Why don't we start with, how did you cross paths with those guys? What, what's the connection between the Canadian Bitcoiners and Mark? How did that happen? I think uh, I wrote an article that hit Zero Hedge and then they just hit me up on Twitter and said, I think it's about time we got this guy on the show. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll what what the was show. the article? It could have been, uh, you know, I really don't know. I got something that goes out 
like I usually put out an article a week or a couple articles a week and and I, I forget which one it was now, but it was probably about Bitcoin. It was probably that the fiat system is collapsing and it was probably about, you know, um, decentralization versus centralization, something like that. So, uh, you know what, I want to get into the whole Bitcoin thing, but then before we do that, can you talk a little bit about Easy DNS, your company, and, yeah, and sure. internet privacy, what you, your kind of current thoughts on where we're at on the internet and some of the privacy maybe thoughts or concerns that go through your mind? Sure, in like two hours or less, or? Yeah, two hours, <laughs> yeah. Give us the 18-hour Coles Notes version. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so Easy DNS is my main business. I co-founded it with a couple of guys in 1998, so we're coming up on 25 years this year. We started as a pure play DNS provider. So we were, people were coming to us to have us run names like DNS for their domains before we could even be a registrar because in those days it was like the network solutions monopoly. Uh, long story short, we got oh, into yeah, the I business. forgot about networks. Yeah. I remember yeah. network now solutions. I remember, yes. Yeah. I think I had to go to their website and register something. So we used to have to fill out the email templates and mail it to them. And then we would wait 48 hours and find out if the domain was registered or not. And then we would do the DNS for Because them. they had the monopoly on it? They had the monopoly on it until... Forgot about that. 2000, ICANN comes along, Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. It gets moved over to there. There was five registrars accredited for the first round. One of them was another Canadian company we were just talking about before the roll. Two Cows became a registrar. They opened up a reseller model. And so we became one of the first Two Cows resellers. And overnight, our business went from people had to pay Network Solutions $50 to register a domain and then us $50 to do DNS for the year. And we said, how about you pay us $35 and we'll do both the DNS and register the domain for you. And business just went total uh, hockey oh, wow. stick. So for someone listening that's not a, familiar with DNS, what ex, you know, just in layman terms, what's happening there? Yeah, so every time you type in a, a URL into a web browser or send someone a text message or send an email, bunch of servers around the world have to have a very quick conversation about it. it takes milliseconds like under 100 milliseconds to say like where is the server that's that's holding this document where's the email server that wants this email where's the endpoint for this text message and that translates those host names that you use that we can remember into these ip addresses that no one can remember and they're just long did you know they're, they're it's almost like an address book for the internet yeah, yeah. Some, some traffic traffic, traffic director reading yeah. directory that kind of a thing wow so you timed that really nice good for you were yeah. you in that space before was this business born out of just necessity somehow for yeah. you yeah, kind of. It, it absolutely was because I was working uh, one of the first dial-up internet providers in Toronto at the time, Inforamp.net. Okay. And I was the uh, one of the sysadmins where, where you know, part of my job was people would send email requests to say, I need to change where my web host is. I need to add this email alias. And, and me and my boss were having lunch one day and he was saying, you know, you should just build a system where people can just do this in the web browser. And, and that's, and then we had this other company on the side, my roommates and I, who became the co-founders and we were building web applications for people. And in those days, a web application that could do a lookup into a database and then build a page on the fly. That was, that was like the super advanced. That was yeah. the future is here. And the problem was we could never get people's, domain names to get moved onto our servers or our name servers because we needed control of the domain name to do this. And so we built that system 
just so our customers could use it and take control of their domain names. And then it just took on a life of its own and we shut down the other company and just ran with it. And you've been running Easy DNS since then. It's still operating. You're yeah. Yeah. I bought out, out of Toronto. It's based yeah. in Toronto. We actually ditched our office like pure fluke six months before COVID hit. We went oh. completely virtual because our lease was coming up. And then we just because what are got, you, someone who can tie the tie, uh, time the entire global events? No, I'm just a guy. Who are you? I just, who I, are you? I just fall ass backwards into good timing. <laughs> Somehow, I have no clue how I do it. But um, yeah, we've got because we've got employees all around the world now, and most of the ones in Toronto had moved out to cities outside of Toronto. So like, we were already working largely virtually anyway. Yeah, cool business, man. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, how many employees does EasyDNS? That's need? twenty full time. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. This is great. Um, we closed on this office six months before the pandemic, so we I'll just feel, so you know we have the reverse strategy as to right. you. Okay, we get commercial real estate when everyone is locked down in their residential real estate. That's when we decide to close on commercial Beautiful. real estate. Just yeah. so you know who you're dealing with over here. Okay. And now we're shopping for a building. <laughs> yeah, are you? <laughs> it goes full circle. It goes full circle. But uh, this was our saving grace during COVID, though, because yeah. it was nice to escape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we, we were we were coming in regularly we in, still. Yeah. Um, the office was empty, but it was nice to just have that routine, get out of the house, and not have to just be cooped up in, in the house. So it was really nice. Yeah. It did it, for that for that that was it the first year. I already uh, said that was whatever. this was like an it really was like an escape. Mm -hmm. Just in here, and no one else was going anywhere. And having your own office at that time really felt like a little bit of a privilege. Yeah. I really felt like holy smokes. Um, okay, so you go from EasyDNS. You're running this company. I, just before we get into the whole Bitcoin story and how that you cross paths with that, what are you seeing on the? What keeps you up at night around internet privacy right now? This is a big topic, I know. But is there something that just is on your mind that people should be aware of, or that you are constantly thinking about? And, I'm and, curious. And maybe kind of along the same lines because I was curious before we started you said that you always every time you think you, it can't get worse it, it does so I, I'm kind of like along those lines like the iterations or one or two of like what when you thought kind of the you know what, at what point you thought it couldn't get worse as well maybe mm -hmm. yeah I mean in the early days of easy DNS there's always people who think that somehow it should be doable that you send an email and somebody else's domain or website comes offline like they think that should be a thing like this these guys over here are doing bad thing and I need you to turn it off. Oh, really? Because I know you have the with? power for it. Right. But in the early days, it was spammers, right? Like this, mm -hmm. And we would say, okay, show us some headers and run it through. And we do this thing. It's like, yeah, we just unplug spammers as a matter of course, zero tolerance policy. It makes perfect sense. And then it started changing to this person over here is saying bad things or is a nasty person and they should be, therefore it's illegal. Mm, it. And it's like, okay, listen, there are things called due process. There are things called contracts. There are things like you don't just turn things off. And then it just kind of started intensifying over the years. And it was always for a certain, until a certain point, it was always private individuals trying to impose their will on the rest of the world. Like, we don't like this website. We don't like what they're saying. It should be unplugged. And we would say, no, that's not a thing. It's not how it works. Then it started shifting a little bit. I would say um, 
you know, and I'm not a Trump guy. I'm not a Democrat guy. I'm, I'm more of a libertarian. But when when the wrong guy won the U.S. election in 2016, it was like there was a, a rupture. in that the, was a shift. That it was, was a it shift. Was, it was a sh- yeah, it was a rupture in the matrix. And that sort of blew a lot of minds. And people are like, this is some sort of reality has taken a wrong turn and we need to correct it. And so suddenly it was not just private people trying to impose their will on the rest of the internet. Suddenly you were doing battles against even entrenched big tech players. Like suddenly there was like, well, this is information and our trust and safety team is deeming the following websites as misinformation. So suddenly there was this whole um, if you sent the wrong thing to your own email list, then, you know, MailChimp, oh, not to name any names, but MailChimp would like, you know, terminate your account. Or uh, we once had our account terminated for having the word Bitcoin in our mail out with, you know, a, a mailing, another mailing list provider. How it, dare you? I know. How dare you? I know. And it's like a technology newsletter from yeah. a technology company. We have a multi-thousand. You were offside. Yeah. You were offside. And it was automated and we just said, you know, forget it. And then when COVID hit, then it became official. And now we know with the Twitter file dumps that like um, government agencies were exerting, you know, exerting their, 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 dictums through big tech and through the corporate media. And it was all being like, it became very Soviet era mm-hmm. of what you can say and what you can't say online. Mm-hmm. And, very political, very centralized. Yeah. With the people at the centralized power control thinking that they were doing a service to the rest of us in like this weird way <laughs> thinking I, you're giving, I, I mean, yeah, that's probably open for debate. Because cause maybe there's some people thinking they were doing a service, but there's some people that weren't doing it thinking they were doing a service, thinking they were trying to, to promote whatever their beliefs oh, their or agenda, agenda was. A lot of it was politicized. Like yeah. we're finding out now that the whole lab leak theory was like CNN in particular said, we're not pursuing this because it's a Trump talking point. Yeah, I saw that now. Yeah. It, looks, it looks like now yeah. it's in writing that CNN was... Yeah. yeah. Whether it's right, whether it was right or wrong, they're like, it doesn't matter because it might yeah. it might support yeah. a Trump, you know, opinion in some way, shape or form. So we're just not pursuing it. What a shame. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, like Trump derangement syndrome probably killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I and this comes from a guy. I say there's two types of TDS, right? Type one TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, whatever Trump says has to be wrong. Ivermectin, lab leak, whatever. So we can't permit that to be right. Type two, Trump divinity syndrome. Like the guy walks on water. Yeah. He's the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. Both sides are extreme. Both sides are both extreme. Both sides are extreme. Type one has caused more damage, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because it shaped the narrative and it warped it irrevocably. I mean, there's still people today who believe all of those talking points and they, and they think like that is now the, the, the essence of their worldview. And so, um, I think I just lost my. No, but I say what you've explained here is you've just seen a, a, a morphing, an evolution of people that started with, hey, these spammers who are clearly doing something offside, could you shut them down? To then people having their private opinions thrust upon you, that then to maybe some political opinions thrust upon you, and then to finally, in the name of everybody's health and safety, right. we must save the world and you must share, you know, shut down this information and not this information. I remember what it was now, actually, is that all of that narrative shaping like fact checkers and stuff like that it was all based on logical fallacies like they would say oh there's no evidence that ivermectin is effective against covid therefore 
Reuters, the actual fact checker, said they literally said there is no evidence. So this is wrong. This is deemed mm-hmm. false. It's like, well, that's an actual logical fallacy. Mm-hmm, sure. That's in an appeal to ignorance or whichever one it is. Mm-hmm. That's like evidence. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Yeah. So um, and a lot of those like experts say appeal to authority, like all of it was these logical fallacies, which are known rhetoric or logistic or logical fallacies that they just used those and said, this now this defines what is truth and what is untruth. You're in an interesting seat because you've seen this, like from an inter- interesting perspective, literally almost like this, you know, like a traffic control of the internet. You've kind of been in this awesome spot. Why do you think it's come to like, you've given this some thought clearly. Mm -hmm. Why have we come to this spot? Because we're transitioning from an old era industrial era system, which doesn't work anymore or is reaching the limits of its effectiveness, partially because the monetary system that underpins it is collapsing. And we're coming into this new system that hasn't been defined yet. It's still largely up for grabs. And the outgoing system, not, I'm not saying there's a room full of people sitting around deciding all this. I always say there's no conspiracies. There's only dynamics and incentives. But so this, whoever's livelihood is reliant on this old mode of operating is just they're not going to go down without a fight. It's like it's got to be like this. This worked in the past. We have to centrally plan everything. We can't allow, you know, diverse mm-hmm. opinions or things that color outside the lines because they're increasingly seen as more dangerous. You know, in 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 2002, you could disbelieve the 9/11 narrative or in 1964, you could say the Warren Commission report was bullshit and it wasn't really going to rock the boat too much. But now you got a guy like Alex Jones comes out and says, you know, COVID is a bioweapon and right or wrong. I don't think it is a Mm bioweapon, but suddenly, you know, one person has this fulcrum called the internet that can amplify a voice so big and so, so Mm -hmm. powerfully that that frightens the hell out of all the incumbents that are saying, well, now suddenly this guy over here has a voice that's as loud and, and, and spreading as fast as CNN or Fox. And that's dangerous. It's why those like the, the, the old kind of mainstay, I guess, publishers, media companies, whatever, they must really despise someone like, like that gets this big following. Maybe Alex Jones might not be the best example. No, but Rogan. I was going to use Rogan as as the example. They just must look at him and just be like, who is this guy? How is he qualified to be doing this? Non-credentialed. He's not an expert. He doesn't have a degree. And he even admits it that he doesn't know. But, but okay. But I'm curious because of what you've seen, you must have a, a unique uh, opinion based on your experience of this bill that I guess is, is it passed yet or has been going through the, the House of Commons? Here in Canada? So yeah. pick one. There's C-18, C-11, C-26, and uh, C-20. Oh, geez, there's that. I, I, thought, it, I thought it was C-11 was the big one, oh, but okay. I don't even know. I, I don't They're all know, big so. ones. So C-11 it basically puts the internet under the CRTC. Mm-hmm. So the CRTC regulates the airwaves, public airwaves, TV, radio. So now they're going to have the internet put under their... Board. And they're able to then dictate what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Is that correct? Well, okay, way, if, if you really distill it down, that, that, was, that was sort of the battleground. And so there was this uh, clause in it that would, that would put user-generated content 
under the purview of C11, and it would uh, potentially um, add the ability, like it didn't do it right off the bat, but uh, a lot of people who were worried about this saw this pathway to say, eventually content creators are going to need a license. You're going to have to be licensed by the CRTC to do this podcast or my podcast or the CBP. Uh, the the user generated content one was taken out, okay. so that's not in there. Um, I can't remember exactly where we are on the needing a license uh, potentially, but it got largely defanged. Uh, it's still terrible. Uh, and then there's um, I might get the numbers mixed up. So C twenty six is the cybersecurity infrastructure bill, which is terrible. It's horrible. It's it's nightmarish. Primarily, why? Because it's so vague in its definitions. Oh. It says like uh, these, like a lot of government agencies, a lot of quasi government agencies, like the Bank of Canada, the Nuclear Agency that of Canada, Atomic Energy Canada, whatever. Like just a bunch of people can can order telecoms to unplug any other entity for they the the language was they can order telecoms service providers to do or stop doing anything if they think it affects the safety of Canadians so anything is a pretty open ended word what They're, the fuck? And if it affects the safety, because like, they they blowing yeah. my mind. Yeah, and they use that term. Well, it's for your safety. As soon as they use that, that's such a blanket statement that yeah. you know. Uh, well, the other one that initially had user generated content needed a license. No, no, what it wasn't that they needed the license. So user generated content could come under this this sort of regulatory framework of being regulated. But content creators, all content creators, may need a license. What's a content creator? Is that what we're doing now? Yeah, it's yeah. what we're doing now. So we would have to apply to speak? Well, yeah, could the they saw that as a path that yeah. could potentially... Yeah, that wasn't going to be in the legislation, but there was framework there that said, okay, eventually this is where we get to, right? Because pe be that is petrifying. For oh, yeah, there. absolutely. Because I think the original legislation, I should know this better than I do because I'm on you're, the Internet Society board. The but, uh, so. so we've been covering this in our meetings. Um, and I'll just put a quick plug in for Internet Society .ca. It does a lot of good work on sort of trying to uh, bring a voice of reason to Ottawa on a lot of these policy tracks. But like originally it was like, OK, if you're a, if you're a YouTube creator or, you know, uh, TikTok or whatever, and you have more than whatever, like a million followers or something like that, then you're going to need a license or something like that. And so there was this perception that that, that hurdle rate can come down to zero effectively. Like if you're broadcasting yeah. to more than one person, you're a content creator. Can you imagine? And, and the government would be so smart that can you imagine you had a million followers out of Argentina, but mm -hmm. you're in Canada, but you're at a million followers, even though they're all listening to you from Argentina, you need a license here in Canada. Well, like that's the ridiculous components of all of this stuff anyway. Yeah. All of the government legislation um, in this area demonstrates a profound lack of technical acumen. Like there's been other ones that there was a, there was a bill it's, I think it was the precursor to the online harms bill, which sort of added provisions for internet kill switches. So if an ISP was ordered to, they would have to block this site or they have to block access to that IP address. And I wrote a technical response to that for the Internet Society saying, "There's, okay, listen, this is the internet, okay? You have to learn there's like this seven layers to the internet. It's the OSI stack. What you're talking about happens up here on layer seven and you you can just root around it on these other layers down here. And this is really just kind of like word salad you can't you can't do any of this 
it's just technically unviable. But I, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's the old system trying Hanging to hold, on. hang on, and they're trying to hang on. Like you said perfectly before, it's like, hey, it's always been done this way. Mm-hmm. So like with the CRTC, well, the CRTC has always regulated media, and now if they look at this type of stuff as media, they're like, well, so the CRTC should regulate this stuff. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it doesn't work the same way when everything's interconnected, layered over one another, and global. Mm-hmm. You can't have Canada you know, um, trying to figure out how to license this global global media all over the place and each country tries to do it on their own it's just i feel like we're beyond that point it feels yeah. like this whole information you know i think we've said the words information age for so long i feel like we're past it mm-hmm. but it really feels like this is the transition like this is the rubicon we're trying to cross at this moment because the industrial revolution ripped everybody kind of from like the villages around the world and brought them into factories and mm-hmm. really kind of threw up evil into the way people live let's face it and now i feel like this age changed the way we're communicating with each other so much that the old institutions are freaking out and we're losing trust in in them because the way they're responding mm-hmm. yeah like if you looked at the media like all the canadian media They've just turned into clickbait kind of the only way they're going to get any attention on the Internet is like they have to have clickbait headlines. And they're complete propagandists. Yeah. Right? There's no there's, <laughs> there's absolutely guess, no critical. I guess. Thinking and there's whatsoever. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> so you're right. There's no critical thinking. There's no debate. And I think there's a lot of us out here that are just looking at them thinking, like, what have you done? It, it's not just like fringe radicals like maybe the three of us sitting around the table oh, and i know really are we yeah i know okay, okay. we would be oh you know? shit okay well, so. according to the uh, yeah it's according to the definition 10 years we ago, don't get the sure. license yeah. we don't get the license but i right. noticed under covid especially like the normies you know the normies in my neighborhood are like i can't watch tv anymore it's like watching propaganda it's like mm-hmm. watching uh Pravda, it. you know when the trucker protest happened and they started seizing the bank accounts and stuff. I mean, I tell, I probably told this story on a million podcasts. Like one of my neighbors, total normal guy, rolls by me in his Tesla, rolls the window down. He's like, Mark, I got to buy me some Bitcoin. No. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you do. And yeah, that one hit, anyone paying attention, that one specifically hit hard. Okay, so let's transition a little bit. What, what, how did you cross paths with Bitcoin and where did that fit into your life? Sure. I mean, there, you have to fast uh, rewind a few years before Bitcoin. I was always, you know, I think around the time of the dot-com crash and all of that, I started doing a deep dive into economics and finance and that sort of thing. And I came across, you know, a couple of phrases I'd never heard before in my life, like secular bear market and uh, just contrarianism in general, sound money, Austrian school economics and stuff. So around the early 00s, I think around 03 to 05 or 06, there was a digital gold currency movement, Mm -hmm. e-gold, e-bullion. Yeah, I remember that. Units, gold money, that last one still around today, publicly traded company based out of Toronto now. Um. And so their offices were in Yorkville, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. Yeah. Because they merged with a company called Bitgold. Gold money was was oh, was founded by the Turk brothers out of England, I think. And then they they merged into Bitgold. And now and then they they sort of oscillated for a few years were Bitgold. And now they're just gold money. But um, I started taking e-gold at easy DNS as a payment method. Uh, and because I just thought I this just seemed a good way to accumulate gold 
through my business. And so I would just, I hung out the shingle as the first domain registrar to take eGold. Uh, people were paying me in eGold. I had a customer in Quebec who I could out exchange it through and get like Krugerrands and, and American oh, wow. Eagles and Maple Leafs. I still have them to this day. They're on our balance sheet. And uh, it's funny because, you know, one of the safety deposit boxes where I have it, I went to check it, like, I think during the COVID crash. And I'm looking at the card, like, when were the last times I was checking the box? It was like, okay, 2008, right? (laughs) So every time there's a financial crisis, I go to the safety deposit box. Is the gold okay? Is the gold okay? (laughs) So, So digital gold currencies didn't make it. But when Bitcoin came along, I came across it. And I still think I was late to the party for a tech guy in 2013. And it was during the Cyprus bail-in crisis. Mm, I and, remember that too. And that I was th- a big deal. I thought that was what put Bitcoin above $100 for the first time. But, you know, I recognized it instantly as a better salute. Like, this is, a, this is e-gold version two, and this one might make it because it has no centralized authority. They shut down e-gold by doing an FBI raid on their offices and closing a few key accounts, and it was over. I looked at Bitcoin. I'm like, who are they going to raid? No, there's no one to raid. You don't even know who Satoshi is. Like this thing, if this thing truly gets out of the box, there's no stopping it. And so I started, you know, within within a couple of months of discovering um, Bitcoin, I was sponsoring the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. I was accepting Bitcoin at Easy DNS. No way. And yeah, we oh, were wow. the, so we were the first registrar to take Bitcoin again. And so, and then we've just we just stack sats, and we've been doing that ever since. So, do you think? I guess you alluded to this a little bit when we were talking about like what's going on in the world right now. And I think you mentioned the words monetary system or broken monetary system. So you've given this some thought as well. You think the underpinning of what's going on in the world right now, Bitcoin can help in some capacity? It's not only can it help in some capacity, there is no other alternative. That's the the other, what's the, so whatever that acronym is, that I, I really, that really resonates with me because especially given the events of the past couple of years. So up until last year, let's say a year ago, I always thought, The monetary system is failing. I called it monetary regime change. There's going to be some kind of reset or reboot or like a Bretton Woods 3 or something like that. But I never thought that uh, Bitcoin would achieve some kind of world reserve currency status or be officially acknowledged by central banks. I thought that was delusional. I always thought of Bitcoin, even when I was a rabid Bitcoin proponent, I always thought it in terms of a German term called Notgeld, which was a, it actually translates um, to emergency money and it came out of the Weimar hyperinflation. Mm. And it was this realization that every hyperinflation has its own form of Notgeld. Like in Germany, cities started printing their own script. Um, In Zimbabwe, people were using prepaid phone cards and gas cards from neighboring countries. And that became emergency money. And I thought Bitcoin is some kind of emergency money through a global fiat currency implosion. But I never thought it would get any kind of official status or become sort of sanctioned by actual institutional, governmental, central banking bodies until 
you know, Trudeau started seizing bank accounts in February of last year. Then the U.S. seized the foreign asset reserves of two sovereign countries. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter who's running those countries. The point is, if you're a sovereign, you think that your foreign currency reserves are your foreign currency reserves. And if suddenly the the entity who's issuing who's issuing those reserves suddenly says, "Uh, you know what, those ones don't count anymore because we don't like what you've done politically or even militarily, that suddenly changes the equation. It changes the equation for everybody. Everybody, So private citizens go, oh, wait a minute. So if I contribute to the wrong fund, crowd fund, that means the government can seize my bank accounts. And if you're a sovereign, you say, oh, wait a minute. So if we've been participating in this rules-based order that's been in place since the Westphalian Treaty, and suddenly this other government over here can just take away our national savings, is is that the reality now? And the thing is, it is the reality. And so even gold, and I like gold, I still love gold, your gold still has to be in a vault somewhere. Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin, where's your Bitcoin, right? It's in your it's brain. It's not even on one spot on the internet. Yeah. It's literally in your brain. Yeah. And it lives on a network. Correct. So uh, this has changed the equation. And this means that there has to be going forward we have basically two choices. You know, we can either have this Hobbesian battle of all against all. If we want to get through this, whatever phase is coming of heightened tensions and, and conflict, if you want to get to a place on the other side where we may not trust each other, we may not like each other, but we have we still have to trade with each other, whether it's China sending us semiconductors or, uh, you know, or them importing uh, natural resources or whatever. We still have to trade with each other. And since we don't trust each other's money, we have to use a trustless digital asset. So your point about the kind of global kind of money that that people need. So we've seen it now in in certain places like Lebanon's a a, a very recent example, right? With what's happened there with our currency and South America is just ongoing with hyperinflation down there, right? But what... I've seen happen, and I'm curious just because your technology background, is they try to cut off the on-ramps to the Bitcoin network in the country when they're when people are trying to kind of use that type mm-hmm. of thing. How viable is that? Is it like, you know, is that really a possibility? I know, you, I know there's workarounds, um, but how easy is that for the average person to still be able to get access to those networks when the country's like, oh shit, you know what? I, we see people kind of running, running for the, the, you know, the capital kind of fleeing here, they're putting into this thing, we wanna stop that now. Because that's what we're seeing happen, and I'm just curious for the people that think that's gonna be the, the, a major risk. Well, I mean, I've always, uh, you know, I run that mailing list, the Bitcoin capitalist. And so I put put out the portfolio and stuff like that. And I always tell the readers, you just have to assume there's going to be heavy regulation at the ingress and egress points, right? So all of the exchanges, all of the centralized exchanges, this is Checkpoint Charlie between the old fiat world and the new decentralized digital world. This is where you're going to pay your taxes. This is where you're going to file your disclosures. It's all going to happen on these centralized exchanges, and there's going to be no such thing as anonymity there. What I always say is once you get your money through Checkpoint Charlie, the government may know it's there. The government may want you to file taxes on it. And hey, I file taxes on my crypto. Like I just had to send in a check to Revenue Canada this, like this, this month. So, you know... I don't view this stuff as this is how you evade your taxes and screw the government. This is basically you you have your wealth in a place that the government can't get it even if they decide to change the rules, mm-hmm. right? And so 
that's part one of it anyway. So these exchanges are always going to be heavily regulated choke points into and out of the system. I always say uh, more and more money going through those checkpoints into the uh, the digital asset system is on a one-way trip. It never has any intention of coming back out. To your point, some of these countries, they try to block the entire internet sometimes, or they're trying to block just the exchanges. There's always decentralized ways to access exchanges and to out-exchange your funds. Um, there's, there's, You can do, you know, over BitTorrent and things like that. And then even things like stable coins are getting more and more use. So let's say you can't get all the way out to your bank account. You'll There's more and more uptake where you can do a lightning payment or you can change it into like USDC or Tether or something and just give somebody the equivalent in dollars in a stable coin. So there's always going to be these ways. But again, these are last gasps. These are like dying, you know, regimes trying to like hang on through just brute control. So if you want, uh, there was someone on Twitter that I was going back and forth with just a little bit on uh, them saying, well, the government can just close the on and off ramps so that anyone didn't that didn't have anything out of the banking system, they would be quote unquote trapped. Yeah. So like if you just had all of your net worth inside your TD, RBC, BMO, checking account or online trading account to get that out into some pure wild Bitcoin through an exchange, if they just didn't allow you to send those funds to an exchange, th then it is difficult. I got, it will be. I, I, I mean, got to admit. There's circular economy. So you can earn your Bitcoin in just right yeah, off the bat. So that's an business. option. You can mine your Bitcoin. You can mine it. Yeah. Yeah, so there's other ways to get some, but it, it it just feels to me in today's world it would it's almost irresponsible to not have some component, some percentage, whatever it is for you, one percent, five percent, fifty. I don't know what the answer is for yeah. for anyone out of this old system because you could just feel them clawing on. To yeah, I mean, I think one percent is going to become a kind of a mantra for family offices and high net worths and fiduciaries and and private equity, whatever. It's like put 1%. Like everyone can vaporize 1%. Well, it's an insurance policy. Yeah. You know, maybe you never need it, but mm, do you yeah. want it if things hit the fan? Yeah. You, you do, right? It just it's, it seems like an easy decision. Mark, where so uh, I like that you've put like different, you have so many different thoughts on this kind of stuff. Where do you think, I don't know, in Canada or in the world, where do you think, and what are the next five and 10 years to you look like? Because Because to me, it looks like we're at that pattern point in history that has happened time and time again, where we're all going to look at the existing institutions and throw them up in the air and say, these are no good anymore. And that everything needs to be recreated. And it's going to be kind of awful for a little bit, but then there's going to be a beauty on the other side of that. I feel. Are you like, familiar with the fourth turning yeah. book? Yeah. It's classic fourth turning stuff. I mean, I don't know if I subscribe to the clockwork mechanism in, in, in the book mm -hmm. that Strauss and Howe said, like every, but because they're calling it like literally to the year, right? They're saying it's well, there's a little fuzz to it, but, um, you know, and, and some of the generational archetypes, I mean, it, it may, but the, the larger point is, is there's this long wave cycle of like, you get this new system and it works and it, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like an archetypical, built into the fabric of reality that things tend to have this seasonality mm -hmm. seasons are there's four of them because that's just what we you know and, and and that's just hardwired into the way we sort of express our existence and uh and we're in that 
that crescendo of the fourth phase, the fourth turning to sort of rebuild. And um, as these systems go down, they're going to like CBDCs are coming. That's going to be a total control system. Mm -hmm. And so it really is. I call it the great bifurcation. Right. I think it's going to be largely self-selecting. I don't think we're ever going to wake up one day and, you know, there's a military commander on TV saying all of your money is now a CBDC. <laughs> it's going to be. I, should, I don't know why I'm laughing at yeah. that. That's horrible. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But there's going to be these friendly celebrities on TV saying, oh, download the LoonCoin mm -hmm. app on your phone and it mm -hmm. makes exploding confetti. And you get a free, <laughs> you get a bonus hamburger quota when you cut your carbon footprint by that much. And then it won't be hamburgers by that time. It'll be grass, you grasshoppers. Yeah, a special yeah, yeah. cartoon emoji. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But by the time that. But then, you know, people who do manage to have assets on the other side into the digital divide they're going to have those options but everything is good. like you're going to have to it's 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 kind of bleak so i don't say this with this sense of like oh you know we're all going to have bitcoin so we're going to be fine but i do you know tell my readers and and whoever will listen i say look it's going to be a lot more expensive to be free in the future Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, maybe we are going to live in a world where the number of flights you can go on in a year is limited, but they're going to limit that through taxation and surcharges. So the average family is like, well, we're going to scrimp and save and we can go on one flight a year. And then if you are the type of person that wants to go that has to for business or whatever, you're just going to have to be able to pay for it because hmm. you're going to have to just pay the carbon taxes or whatever they're going to call it. I like that way of framing it. I think you're right with that. It's going to be a lot more expensive to be free in the future. And that'll be a way for the governments to kind of get what they want. Because if you just raise the prices on flights or you want to drive this car, like Nick, you want to drive the truck you drive? Well, then, you know, it's this much in taxes. But if you have the funds to do it, you're going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. But that'll put a lot of controls on a big percentage of the population because they're just not going to have the funds to do it. And they'll just want the free stuff, the free UBI that downloads mm -hmm to their phone, the CBDC, because it's, hey, it's free. I get free money every month. Mm -hmm. So if you can set yourself up now to have the financial wherewithal to uh, to be able to get around some of this stuff by just paying your way out of it. So it's basically like all of history. Yeah, it's, have, it's, it's, it's it, all if you have some funds, you're going to be able to do what you want. Yeah. On one hand, it sounds extremely callous to say it. And on the other hand, to your point, not much has changed yeah. the rest of history. I mean, we are coming out of this sweet spot which looked like it would last forever it was a sweet spot where we had yeah. a very fat middle class beautiful and so the middle class lifestyle it was the american dream mm -hmm. i mean we're in canada but that was it it was like you could have a couple cars in the driveway you could put your kids through college a few vacations you, every year you could own your own home and and it was like and we could have sustained that that could have gone forever if only we didn't debase the currency and just start excessively borrowing, pulling future value into the present. And that's and, and I, I know people just laugh at me, but it's just a, such an absolute crime mm -hmm. that that we were there. Yeah, we were right there with, you know, democracy has problems. Yeah. Democracy kind of was sort of doing really decent. Well, I mean, there was wars and stuff, so I don't know. There's tons of asterisks around that. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the 70s, the 80s, even maybe into the 90s. But then it just started to unravel because I feel these the, the, the monetary system was just abused by the power base to serve their needs. And it just went downhill fast in the last 30 years. And I think actually this is where the whole um, climate alarmism movement movement comes from is this 
uh, I think the people who maybe originally like, you know, the guy who wrote limits to growth, he probably believed it when he wrote it. But I think the, the, the technocrats around him, that's sort of like, Oh, let's pull this in. Let's, let's, let's insulate and, uh, incubate this movement and really amplify it. I don't think it's born out of, uh, out of a concern for the climate or the environment. I think it's like, we've built a debt bubble that we can never deflate mm -hmm. and it's going to rupture and it's going to be, so we have to get the rabble to ratchet down its standard of living. We have to make them pull mm -hmm. off the, mm -hmm. the gas pedal. And this is how we're going to do it again as a, as a dynamic of incentives and, and because I don't believe in, you know, all powerful top-down conspiracies. There's probably a lot of conflicting conspiracies going. Sure, the forward, idea was out there and yeah. someone grabbed onto it saying, hey, we can use this yeah. to serve some of our needs. Let's jump onto it. So yeah. It might not have been born out of complete conspiracy theory, but. No, but anytime there's something, I think we've seen now the pattern is that let's mm -hmm. use that for some sort of agenda. Once it's once it's in place, we're like, well, we can, like and to it, your point, we can amplify this and leverage this for something that we were looking to do. Now it's the perfect excuse. So you, but, you basically have to start making money and have some good financial net worth just for your own freedom. When I went to, I came back from, uh, I, I, go ahead. I came back from, keep that thought. I, I came back from Naples, uh, yeah, uh, last week and at the Pearson airport, you know, we have Nexus already our identities. Like I've already kind of succumbed oh, yeah, yeah. to like, okay, we're gone on the way in through the U S you know, when you go through global entry or Nexus into the U S on the way in, it says, don't touch the computer. So have you seen the, the latest ones? It's all these signs. Don't touch. I just went to it with my face picks up my face while I'm not even folk. Like I'm not even ready to be had a picture taken of, of me and out comes the slip. Done. That's it already yeah. knew how you subscribe. Remember, remember when you, yeah, you opted into you it? Yeah, you opted in. And then coming back into Canada, they have the the existing Nexus, but they have these new gates. You know those gates that we've seen a few yeah, times? Yeah, I've, white seen, thing? I've been to so I went up to them and it takes your face. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome because in a few years, it's going to take my face. And, and it's say, not going to let you in. Here's his carbon footprint. Here's how much how many steaks he's, <laughs> he's eating. And it'll all be done with good intentions. Yeah. But it's all going to be against everything I believe. <laughs> so, yeah. well, no, but the, you can see how easily they're going to do it because at the grocery store when you buy a steak how hard is it to take your face yeah. like i mean it's happening in an instant well the thought that i had that i had never really thought about you know i've thought about cbdc's and things like that but i've never thought about they're gonna you know there's you can take two flights a year so what you know where are you gonna go and then so right away i thought well if you own someplace somewhere else or this is going to be an exception for people that that have to go visit a home they have or something or a passport or citizenship or, maybe yeah exactly and and uh yeah it just got me thinking a lot in a lot and it's of all going to be done with good intentions more that's citizenship the crazy part and when i say good intentions i mean i'm, I'm joking when i say good intentions mm -hmm. but that's how it will be sold Oh yeah, it's for your benefit, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's no different than any sales. It's basically the classic sales book. You have to explain to you know Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people. You have to explain what what's in it for them. You know, you have to make it about them, and then people are like, "Oh, this is great." Yeah, well, I think that's that's the that's the the key point is that again, I don't pose it like this Orwellian dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Picture a boot stomping on a face forever. I picture. Uh, happy people yeah. that where a big chunk of the population likes it. So yeah, this is, this is the way it should be. I'm a, I'm a and, good and, proletarian. And, and Nick will be judged because he's on his third flight overseas yeah. and they'll be looking at you like, well, yeah. you know, really you're not doing uh, the planet any, any help there. I don't know if I would have agreed with you before, but like a, book, a big percentage of people will like it until what happened 
during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And that's when I was I was surprised by the number of people that, that just the sheer percentage base that were told one thing and didn't investigate it any further. Something they're just like, oh, that's what it is. Okay, no problem. That's great. And and they completely like blindly just mm-hmm. followed. And that's where you know. And maybe at first there was fear or whatever. I get it. But then for for how as prolonged as it was, I mean, some people are still to to this day are still feel like it's you know it's the first week when there's no information available. Um, yeah, there's still COVID is not over hashtags. Oh, yeah. We just had an event with 900 and some odd people at it. We got um, some communication from someone saying we're you know we shouldn't have the event because not COVID's not over. COVID's not over. That was just last month. (laughs) But I think just the the, the sheer number of people that just followed blindly, Mm -hmm. um, I was surprised by, and it totally changed my opinion. And now when you say something like that, I I agree with you much more than I would have just a couple years ago. It goes to this this sort of great bifurcation, this fracture, this tearing. So it used to be everything was on a spectrum. Everything was a continuum. People's political leanings, people's, you know, affluence levels, people. It was all just kind of like shades of gray. And now everything is polarized. So on one hand, to your point, a lot of people went along with this and a lot of mediocre people got a taste of power and will never want to give that up. But then it also, like I always say, the too much, too soon thing, right? Remember that New York Dolls album? Like, <laughs> you know, too much, too soon. It took 20 years of creeping totalitarianism and it packed it into 18 months. That actually woke a lot of people up too. So a lot of people went along with it and they're going to go along with it and they're going to, you know, raise their hand when the CBDC comes out. But a lot of other people lost faith in the system. And those people are like who we talk to and try to orange pill and say, look, you got to take control of your life because the antidote to all this, it's critical thinking, it's radical personal responsibility, it's the sovereign individual play and, and that kind of thing. It's like, this is what you have to do when you lose faith in the system is you realize you don't live in a cradle to grave welfare state. I mean, you think you do, but you don't because the only wild card in everything we've been talking about is I don't know if this CBDC system we're talking about, everything's based on your carbon footprint. I don't know if that actually gets rolled out before the global monetary system itself implodes because it's kind of close. It's deca- Yeah, it's falling apart very quickly. And I just don't see a lot of movement on the technical level on the CBDCs. That's why, I mean, I put out a, a post a few months ago that says, you know, it's collapsing so fast, the monetary system, that they don't have time to build CBDCs from scratch. They're going to have to build it on top of something that's already out there. My chief suspect is Ethereum, mm-hmm. you know, Wefirium. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're going to try and build or, or some sort of either Ethereum or a hybrid of like taking some of these stable coins. Like a USDC, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, uh, because the time is of the essence. This is, the system is, is cracking up faster than these things can be deployed. How do you keep these two ideas? Like there's, there's maybe the three of us who are thinking, well, independence and sovereignty is really important and critical to maybe, you know, maybe you would take it as far as to say that to the future of the human race is better off if we're all sovereign. Um, but then there are such a big part of the population that just would is going to feel really happy with whatever gets rolled out as long as they have enough food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
maybe we're the strange ones who are wrong. Well, <laughs> you know, you know I, I don't think about it in terms of like who's wrong and who's right. I think I think about it in terms of as long as everyone's allowed to chart their own path, as long as everyone's allowed to coexist. I mean, one thing I found as a lifelong business owner is most of the people who work for me don't want to own a business. Mm. Like a lot of times I'm thinking, why doesn't this person go start a new business? They don't want to. They don't, they just, because owning a business is a lot of headaches. And a lot of people in the world do want certainty and they think the government gives them certainty. However, and, and the world is a mixture of both. Like the world needs, you know, break off the chains, entrepreneurs out there disrupting, mm -hmm. innovating, taking risks, doing all that stuff. I think there's enough um, accumulated wisdom to know that you can't regulate those things out of existence. Like you, if you want an economy to grow and everyone probably agrees you need a growing economy, you need that aspect. And then for the people who like, I don't want to innovate. I don't, I, I want to have a family. I want to take mm -hmm. care of my, that's a better way to look at it. You know, I want to take yeah. care of my, or family or my, my group identity or whatever it is. I just want to take care of it. I want to do my job. I don't want to think about my job mm -hmm. after that my job is done. I want to do my hobbies or whatever. Um, and that's all I want to do. And maybe those people want to be left alone in a different, what I would call in a different way, in a different way. And so, and then if, if, and, and, you know, let's say, um, like their, their healthcare needs are met, their, yeah. their assistance needs are met and they, and it frees them up to just like, I just want to live a, a quiet life of doing this and this and this. Why, who are we to argue with them and say, no, you can't do that. You've got to shake off the chains and you've got to become a sovereign individual and have multiple passports and, <laughs> and, and like, uh, uh, guns, and ammo and gold. And okay. like, they don't want that. And maybe, and who, who are we to take? I think the, the key point is for the people who do want to take risks and build wealth and build businesses and, and just grab the world by the horns and go out there, as long as we can keep doing it, even if the expense of doing so rises, then then we'll be happy too. I mean, you mentioned Bob Proctor before mm -hmm. we started rolling. So, I mean, one of the great things I loved that he said was, uh, I don't complain about taxes. Um, a lot of people complain about taxes, and me personally, I'm one of them. Says, you know, the government can keep raising taxes for all I care because I can just keep generating more income faster than the government can keep raising my taxes. So I really don't care. I love that. That is such a great way to look at things. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way you framed it today has really kind of helped me th kind of, yeah change maybe a little bit of the context of, of how I see the future, that if you can keep earning your way above whatever the increased threshold it is put that is put in front of you to do what you want, you're going to be all, always able to do what you want. I really like what you said, and I hope this is true, that you think there is some belief at, at certain levels that you can't over-regulate people doing what they want, the entrepreneurs who are out there. I hope you're really right with that. <laughs> I really hope you're right with that specific comment. Because then there, you know, the world can evolve, and I think you need entrepreneurs, people like yourself, kind of breaking the mold and bringing new things to market. Otherwise, uh, things do look a little kind of bleak to me. Yeah, and it's kind of, I mean, the way you described it, even with a positive spin on it, I was like, man, that sounds like a really pernicious treadmill. What mm -hmm. you're talking about, mm -hmm. but yet, when you're in a fiat system, the whole world is a treadmill. 
mm-hmm. because you're devaluing the currency. And so the difference between living in poverty and living in affluence is can you run on the treadmill faster than the currency is being eroded? Yeah, and we didn't explain this to you and, and we really appreciate you coming in and, and talking to us without knowing us. So thank you for that. But that's why we started this business. Like real estate to us was, we didn't know about Bitcoin mm-hmm. and we thought, oh my gosh, like here's a vehicle with real estate where you can kind of outpace the central bank's devaluation of the currency and it's our closest shot to us becoming the bank itself because when you buy a property they're going to devalue the currency so the price in in fiat dollar terms of the property tends to over longer periods of time always drift higher and then when you refinance we're banker because when we sign the paper to refinance a property and pull out some equity we're creating new fiat dollars out of thin air just like the bankers do so to us it was always just what you said it was like oh you know say what you want about real estate but this is our way this is our way to outpace the central banking mechanisms it's funny because there's two thoughts i want to say to that but one is on the on the way driving down here i thought you're the second real estate team I've met. The other one's called Red Jacket Capital in um, London, Ontario. Well, they're, they're wealth management, but they're into real estate. Okay. And I met them from last summer because they had this full page ad in, in like a cottage book that said, Muskoka Lakefront property is a hard asset, just like Bitcoin. Oh, cool. I got to talk to these guys. (laughs) And so I, you know, and so it's like real estate people tend to get this Mm -hmm. for the exact reasons that you're talking about. And then the other thing was, was something, uh, Who's the rich dad guy? Kiyosaki. Yeah. Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. Why am I forgetting that? Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. He said it many, many years ago. He said, the government knows they're eroding the currency and they're diluting it. And so they want entrepreneurship to go in a certain direction. And he was talking specifically about real estate. And he said, the government is incentivizing this. They're setting up the rules of the game for people to kind of see it and go, I'm going in this direction because this is the way the incentives are pointing me. And so you just move in the same direction that's being incentivized or opened up and you're, you're, you're almost catching like this glide path the wave yeah Mm. the the momentum behind it it almost feels like a little bit of a cheat code to be honest because once you figure it out you're like why is you look around like why is everybody not do you know doing this but then bitcoin came out and that was and we dismissed it for you know i dismissed it at least twice completely outright i remember telling somebody like i was in tech like i worked at a database company (laughs) your little bitcoin thing this like you know just get away from me with, you know, and then uh, and then when it finally hit home for me, it was like this is the ultimate hard asset. Mm-hmm. And some of my friends who talk about gold, and some people online who talk about gold, I always, I, I lately have been trying to explain to them. I'm saying, hey, listen, humans always tend to drift to the hardest form of money. The fact that you're telling me gold is is better because it has thousands of years of history. What was money before gold? Do that analysis. And why did gold trump whatever was money before gold? Now use the same characteristics or properties in the analysis you use to to understand why something before gold was money and then gold was better at it. And now do it for 
gold and Bitcoin. Did you read Safetyn's book? Is that what got that you? That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one. That was the one. I got, I think I got to page 72. Yeah. Didn't even get into the, like the technical art because I think the first four chapters are literally just like global macroeconomics yeah. and that kind of thing. So I didn't even get to the technical part of it. Yeah. And I, at the end, I, I never forget because I was sitting in that corner of the office that you haven't yeah. seen yet. I literally ran, I don't know if you remember, but I ran to Nick's office. Nobody was here because it was during the pandemic. We, yeah. we became Bitcoiners in 2020, spring 2020, okay, right yeah. at the halving. You're the class of 2020. Class of 2020. And yeah. I ran to Nick's office over here and I said, oh my gosh, I'm so wrong on Bitcoin. We have to get some and we have to get as much as we possibly can. <laughs> I, think, I, think wasn't the, I think the first thing that got us to, even to buy the book was, the, was a Raoul Powell report. Yeah, he was because he, he was talking first. about it from like a technical trading, yeah. but I didn't under, I still, yeah. it was like a trade. But it gave us enough, but it, it, it was interesting enough to be like, oh, let's, we should need to ex explore this. Well, then I heard like further. he mentioned the book, then like two or three other people yeah. mentioned the book. I'm like, why does this book, The Bitcoin Standard, keep coming up? And if you're, if someone's listening that hasn't read the book yet, I would almost say read the books in reverse order, read the fiat standard first and the mm. Bitcoin standard second. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, get if you them, don't, get if you them don't, both. If yeah, if you if the yeah, if you don't understand the fiat stuff, you know, it might yeah. yeah. If you don't think that that context, I I actually tried to buy some. I was uh, I know someone um, in Toronto, so who is uh, Vitalik's father by by chance. I was in okay. a, an entrepreneur group with uh, Dimitri, and he he I remember being up for lunch with him, and he told me he's like, hey, look. He didn't. This was before Ethereum was launched. He just told his me his son was in Asia working on some crypto stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That crypto stuff. I need to understand that. I want to buy some. And he's like, look. He goes, let me just tell you, like, just buy some, just to under if if nothing else, just to understand this world because you're gonna want to understand it. And I went on. It was like one or two Sunday mornings, and I tried to figure out exchanges. I tried to get approved somewhere, and it was still early enough. I don't know when it was. I don't know if it was 2016, 17, 18, somewhere, you know, and uh, it just, it, I was like, I can't even flip and figure out how to do this thing. You know, like it wasn't, I, and I didn't spend enough time to, to, to do it. Um, and I just kind of let it sit there knowing that I was like, man, I got to circle back to that. got to circle back to that, put it on the back burner, put it on the back burner. And then this brought it to the forefront again. So and that's when we did, you know, when I first bought some Bitcoin, I did buy some Ethereum too, because I couldn't figure out, like, I'm like, okay, like, what am I missing? I'm obviously missing something here. I better get some of this stuff too, because, and then the more I kind of read about it, I remember talking to Nick and going, I can't, like, I don't know. I, I have a bit of a technical background. I, I don't understand like this stuff. And then I just got, uh, got rid of it all. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I just need to make this very, very clear for anyone. I just want, I, I think it's very important for me to, to explain to people, I'm 100% Bitcoin and there's very important technical reasons why that is. And uh, I just don't believe in any of the other ones. It's, it's just like, it's to, it's to my soul, I am that way. <laughs> yeah. Crypto is crap. Most, of yeah. cri most crypto yeah. is crap. And, and I started off loving it all. Right. Mm -hmm. So I actually managed to buy some Ethereum at like a dollar fifty or something like that. Yeah. And I don't have Were it. you tr were you trading it back then or were you just holding it? I just someone was telling me about it who I knew. Um and so I just picked some up and I completely forgot about it until it was like eighty or ninety dollars and then I'm like, whoa. And then I, I hung on to it for a while and I think I, I sold it at the top of the two thousand seventeen cycle. Mm. But and I still, I, I have, I like, 
there's there's elements of crypto. I think there are decent crypto projects that have the potential to be decent crypto projects like, you know, Helium and, and stuff like that, where you can sort of, it has a reason to exist, but it's not money. Is Helium the Wi-Fi one? He, yeah, it's, it's a LoRaWAN mesh mm-hmm. network thing. It's had some problems with execution mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but I like the premise. And I still think it's kind of early in that game, but I think of all of those, if you think of like Bitcoin is TCP IP mm-hmm. or Linux and everything else, like Ethereum and Solana is crap, but all these other things, they're just, they're like windows, they're, they're applications. I like that way to frame. Models. And I think that's where I'm coming from. I, I, I just kind of get slightly annoyed. I'm just going to be open about it when someone tells me something else is money. So I think some of the other ones, like I don't know anything about helium or some of some of the other things could be applications that perhaps have some kind of value that I don't see. Yeah. Yeah, Like people made a lot of money investing in Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to work at Oracle. So Microsoft was the arch enemy. Yeah. We would get the emails from Larry Ellison that would, I remember when I was there like 98 and I would get these emails and Larry Ellison was explaining why why Bill Gates client server architecture was wrong. And his idea was network computing architecture, NCA. Yeah. And he's like, you know, we have the big servers in the back room and the thin client in the front room. And I remember thinking, I think he's right. But then to his credit, that architecture did win out. Yeah. You know, the client server did kind of die off. Yeah. And so that's how I look at that. I mean, even EasyDNS is still involved in the Ethereum name service initiative because it's like we're in the DNS business. So what is that? You register. uh, It's like it's those dot ETH domains you see in everybody's Twitter handles. And so you can basically instead of and there's a need for this. And actually, that's a whole different story unto itself. But because you see all these crypto addresses, it's the same as IP addresses. There's this need for this intermediary abstraction layer called naming. And so Ethereum name service was one of the first ones, and we got involved very early. And that's your wallet. So your your .eth domain, or call it, or... or can be or, your can, wallet. It's your wallet address. It can be your wallet address. And where we got involved was working with one of the registries, and now it works for all of them, and the Ethereum, the ENS Foundation, that where you can actually use like a regular .com or a .ca domain can be your Ethereum. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, so that's doable. We've been involved in that for a number of years. I think the implementation is a little, I don't know. So, I mean, I I like it because it's happening and it's there and I'm sort of involved in it. Um, I welcome these naming innovations, but lately um, I've been waiting for something to happen in the Bitcoin space that hasn't really happened. There's, there's things like stacks. So that's a, that's a separate chain. The Bitcoin guys hate any naming thing. Even if it's a side chain, the Bitcoin, they're like, it's a shit coin. If it's got a CEO, it's a shit coin. So, but there's .BTC and Stacks, and I actually kind of like the work that they've been doing. But now there's this thing that Bitcoiners also hate called ordinals and inscriptions. And I'm looking at that and thinking, this is your domain layer right here. This is your DNS Right, you just make it because I always thought domain names were the original NFTs. Right? So, so tell tell us more about that then. Uh, the inscriptions and yes, ordinals. Yeah. So this this has just been happening. So there was the taproot upgrade last yeah. year, and that uh, through the op return mechanism, which I don't fully understand myself, but it it provides the ability to create like the equivalent of an NFT on Bitcoin. And so, again, I don't know why NFTs went in this direction, but pixelated JPEGs, graphics, memes, whatever, this is where the NFTs are going. And I'm like, this is not the use case for NFTs. Yeah. So what were you saying that? What is that? that why is that the domain layer? Because so the NFT, in my mind, is 
like a domain name was the original NFT because it was like this, this just, it was like a, they were all oh, the like same. an abstraction. Yeah. They were all the same thing, but they were all unique. Mm. Right. And so oracle.com looks very different from easydns.com, which looks different from rockstarrealestate.com. They have all these different tentacles yeah. hanging off of it and, and, and endpoints. And, and they're, they're all like, when I visualize it in my mind, they're all like these different shaped crystals, right? Like the domain name is an NFT with ordinals and inscriptions. I'm like, okay, if I can actually, you know, write that onto a Satoshi, a single, and that Satoshi is transferable. It doesn't have to be a pixelated JPEG. It can be a name server delegation. It can be an API endpoint or the, a pointer to an API. Like it can be a whole DNS zone can be in that ordinal. Can you give us an example of the functionality that would offer us? It gives you a way to have a decentralized domain, like a, a decentralized oh, DNS tree. It. So right now, so we're, I'm sitting at my desk some morning and then I'll just get an email from VeriSign that's is shape of things to come that will say, uh, we've just taken this customer domain out of your account and we've given it to the FBI pursuant to a sealed court order. Have a nice day. And wow. it's, it's done. There's nothing we can do about it. it. So far, it's only happened a couple times and it's only been with domain names that are kind of like, okay, that looked pretty dodgy. Yeah. So, but we live in a world where domains get canceled and that kind of thing. We talked about that earlier. Well, if let's say I don't need VeriSign who runs the .com registry or Sira who runs the .ca registry, what if I don't need them to put my name servers into the .ca wow. tree or the .com tree? What if I can just put my name servers for my identifier, easy DNS? I don't even need the .com or .ca. I can just signal somehow that in the Bitcoin blockchain, there's an ordinal that's inscribed with my name server delegation. There's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. Wow. That changes things. It does, yeah. Now we have decentralized application layer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Ethereum was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. That's what it's trying to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I do another, like that aspect of them trying to be that. Yeah, that I do appreciate yeah. from them. But the architecture of it, I much more lean towards the Bitcoin architecture of it. Because it's decentralized because versus it's, not decentralized. This is a full node sitting right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. And, it's not, so, and it's not money. Like, And I think that, that narrative's coming out a little bit more, you know, where people are differentiating, even in, in like non-sophisticated or you know people mm -hmm. that are newer to the space there's there seems to be more of a differentiation that i've heard in the than in, than in the past ver, of bitcoin versus other ones where they they separate bitcoin and they lump the other ones all together including ethereum which i just look at as like a like it's, it's like a tech stock to me like all yeah. those things it's got a ceo yeah right mm -hmm. it's centrally controlled and I think that's the proper way to look at yeah. it. Yeah. So it's hard, but that narrative is kind of coming out like versus where it was even when we got into this space little, in like 2020. It, is, yeah. it seems like I just, it's a little bit it different. It still gets my backup when they say that's the ultrasound money. That, it's that part. But yes, I yeah. agree. A hundred percent agreed. 100%. Yeah. I just ignore that. Ultrasound yeah. money. Uh, how is it ultrasound money? Oh, because we just changed the monetary yeah. policy yeah. to make it ultrasound <laughs> money. It made it more sound. But this okay. Is get, this, Sounds legit. The ordinals, which yeah. I, I've only... 
looked into a little bit and I got to be honest because a lot of the conversations things I've read are pretty technical yeah so I'm just like man it's a little bit over my head so I got to dive deeper to get like a the, the well I think it's so early even what Mark's describing there's no real functionality to pull this it's off not, quite but, yet but, but yeah you could, you could see something That's forming what, here yeah so maybe it's not ordinals or inscriptions per se right maybe it's something else um but at least it's it's and and then I I also understand the um, the sentiment that says Bitcoin shouldn't be anything other than money, mm. right? Like it shouldn't and and like yeah, a, a lot can. of times when I hear people say, well, there's no use case for Bitcoin, I'm like, well, what's the use case for the money in your wallet? Do you want to be able to play a video game on it? Do you want to be able to, <laughs> to you know? Yeah. Like, Good point. Yeah. But again, you could argue this now is the money in your wallet. You yeah. can play a video game on it, and you can have a conversation and everything. Mm -hmm. So you know, and this stuff is happening. Sorry, I know you got a point, but this stuff is happening anyway. So, like, do we argue with it? It's just happening. So, well, what's the value to a decentralized network that can serve the globe in multiple ways? Mm -hmm. I guess that's the way that I would I would look at it. So, there's you could you protect it just for the money, and I understand that that argument, but then there's other things that need to happen beyond just the money that it can benefit from. So that, you know, this is going to sound like I'm being hyperbolic, I swear, but I just feel like we're at an inflection point in humanity, possibly with some of this stuff coming out, because mm -hmm. what Mark you do perhaps in somehow moving forward, some of this decentralized functionality, perhaps in a year or two that you don't even see yet, mm -hmm. ZDNS, it might serve somebody in South America that you've never met before, but because that functionality is now on a decentralized network, permissionless decentralized network, no, am I, am I being too crazy? No, I got to tell you a story about South America and EZDNS, though. Uh oh, oh tell, us, tell us. sort of related. So, I mean, <laughs> we have this mechanism, right? Like sometimes people like, we need to re give them a refund or a partial refund. And so we have like account credit and they're like, I just put it into my account credit. Right. And you can, if you want, you can preload your account say, look, just, I'm going to just put 500 bucks on and just every time I do something, just draw it down instead of hitting the credit card. So one day we're noticing, this is a few years ago. We're like, there's this account, this guy, and he keeps funding his account and he's not, he keeps calling it funding for this website, but his website is like, he's prepaid it out to like 2097. Okay. Like he's just every, every two weeks he keeps doing this. And we're like, what, I email him. He's in Argentina. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I'm taking my money. Uh, every, every paycheck, I put some of my money into my easy DNS prepaid credits to, to hold its value. Cause it's holding its value better than my pesos. Wow. And I'm like, okay, you can't do that because we're not, a bank. We're not a bank. We're not a, you like, and then at like a, a, about a year later, it's like, oh yeah, um, I want to cash out my credit to buy this thing over here. I'm like, okay, that's great. We'll do it this time. Here you go. You can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. We, we Credit to him. He hijacked the system pretty nicely. There. <laughs> hey, when you need it, when you need it, on, like you got to get out of the hey, system. Not guilt or notes guilt. That's what I was going to say. Easy yeah. DNS became that. Yeah. It became the emergency money. You know, I never even thought of that until now. Just telling that. Yeah. Story. You said it earlier. Yeah. It and that's what came to mind when you said it. Yeah. You were the emergency money. Yeah. You were the phone card yeah. for this gentleman. Yeah. Well, in Greece, I know in Greece when they had their currency, you know, that was around the Cyprus time too. I forget what year that was, but there was, you know, 
people, I was watching interviews with people and, and vid- Wash, washing machines yeah. became the emergency carrying washing machine. machines home on their back because they were like, I got to buy something anything, with this money. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Guys, I could keep chatting forever. Unfortunately, I have yeah. to leave. We okay. could, we could keep get going. Mark, tell us. Uh, yeah. We're very, very thankful. We could talk to you forever. So, um, I, I got one other question cause I see this thing on your belt and so it should be a quick one. Oh. I don't know if that's a, a security thing or no, not. No, this is just my, my, my daughter gave me. This. Oh, okay. This is my iPod. Oh, got it. Because I was going to ask you what you use, because a tech guy that's into this stuff, what you use for passwords and things like that. That was a selfish question. Do you uh, use a password manager? Yeah, we use Bitwarden, but we use self-hosted, so it's inside our DMZ, so okay. it's oh, got it. VPN. And, yeah. yeah, no one can get at it. Yeah. yeah. Mark, where, I mean, I feel like you have a few places where you could direct people to. Where would you like to be directing uh, so, I mean, to? The main business is easydns.com. We put out a weekly tech digest at accessofeasy.com. Joey and Len are going to start doing the weekly audio version of that from Canadian Bitcoiners. Great choice. Um, I think they're going to be great at it. Yeah, I write at bombthrower.com and I have my premium letter at uh, the bitcoincapitalist.com. The bitcoincapitalist.com. Yeah. And then you're also involved with one more internetsociety.ca. Yeah, I'm on the board there. So that's a Canadian uh, policy group. And we, like I said, we try to inject some sanity into the. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. We need thank that. You so thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Mark, pleasure getting to know you. Thank yeah, you so you much well. for doing this. Let's thank do you. it again sometime. Hey, everyone. Hopefully, you enjoyed that ch- chat with Mark as much as we did. You can find Mark online on Twitter at Stunt Pope. So that's at S-T-U-N-T, Stunt Pope, or his company, EasyDNS, at EasyDNS. You can always uh, refer to his, uh, sorry, he has links on his Twitter handle to, I believe, the Bitcoin capitalist, or he mentions it there, and internetsociety.ca is another URL that we mentioned. So he has a whole bunch of resources. Basically, if you go to his Twitter handle, you're going to find everything out about Mark, and that Twitter handle, again, is at Stunt Pope, S-T-U-N-T-P-O-P-E. Appreciate you, Mark, for coming out. And uh, you didn't know what you were walking into, so we totally appreciate you doing that. We're going to have to do it again. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive down the real estate investing rabbit hole, you can get free copies of our digital books at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So if you visit rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books, you can get free copies of our digital books where we've done what we think is a decent job of breaking down some real estate investing information that we've experienced over the years. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.